Guys, welcome back to episode eight of the Built for Life podcast. For some reason, we have no idea what's happening, but download spiked massively this week. If you're all talking about us, even if you're calling us wankers, like, listen, it's okay. As long as the word is spreading, we do not care. Um, all feedback, regardless of how it how is delivered or how it's spoke about, is still good feedback. So we're here, episode eight. We're absolutely loving giving these to you guys on a weekly basis. And it's actually feeling very nice how consistent we are. Like me and Jen are prioritizing this. We are putting time aside to make this happen. Um, when really, with how much we have on, it would be so easy not to do it. So I'm actually proud of us both for sticking to our guns and getting this shit done. But this week, we actually want to talk about something that is so, so rife in the fitness industry. In fact, not even in the fitness industry, it's just so rife in people's lives. And it's not really identified upon until people go through a fitness journey. And I think a lot of the time, they don't have the right foundations in place with this thing we're going to discuss that essentially holds them back from achieving their result. But they think along the way they're broken, they can't achieve it, they're never going to be able to change. They feel as if they don't really know their arse from their elbow. Like they want to do one thing, but they don't actually want to do the other thing that will allow them to achieve it. And it all comes from like a place of emotion, binary thinking, and it's the never ending cycle. Now, we're going to define that in a little bit more detail and depth as we go through this podcast, but I wanted to pass it on to Jen to begin with to explain a little bit more about the binary thinking behind it and what this looks like and potentially manifests as within people's lives. So I think um, we see this exist in so many sorts of th- sorts of ways. Like, obviously, we spoke before about that, like, all or nothing perspective and how people really struggle to differentiate um or, or really understand what that actually means and the the binary thinking pattern like shows up in people so in so many different ways like one of the biggest ways i see it happening with people is particularly is with food right mm. so anyone who's ever battled with either binge eating or restrictive eating is someone who will look at their relationship with food in that really black and white binary way. And that's really what kicks off like that thing that we see, which is the never-ending cycle. And I say to people quite a lot, and I've obviously learned this from my own experience, but one doesn't exist without the other. So I think that a lot of the time people create a perception that this is the last time that I will have to restrict and then everything will be okay. And if you're still restricting, overly restricting your food intake, it's not a case of if you overeat, it's a case of when. Like, and don't get me wrong, for some people, I think it's not always binge eating. Sometimes it is overeating. Like, we need to be really clear in the, the distinction between the two. And I know you'll come on to that. But I think for a lot of people, it's the belief that I'll just restrict this one last time and then everything will be okay. Or... I'll just overeat this one last time and then I'll stop doing it and I'll overeat at the weekend, but then I'll undereat for three days after that and that'll even it out. And like, there we go again with another never ending cycle. Like I'll just keep repeating this same thing over and over again and tell myself that it's working when in reality it's not. And I think something that we see happen quite a lot for people is that if they have struggled with, emotional eating, binge eating, overeating, using food as a source of comfort, joy, what whatever they need it to be, because we don't put people, especially people who come to us with a history of disordered eating, we will not put them on 
like restrictive calories. In fact, a lot of the time they won't even go into a calorie deficit initially until they learn how to track and how to eat well and how to nourish their body. Um, and what will happen is because they've created this belief for so long, and, and I did this for a long time, I know that's probably where you're going to start laughing because you're like, oh, that was you. <laughs> where because you have spent such a long time in rapid restrictive weight loss regimes, you were able to overeat and still lose weight because you were undereating so much that you were still creating a deficit, but in the extreme. Mm -hmm. So when you come into a program like this, where our primary objective is healing your relationship with food, not not adding more ammo to it, yeah, you're eating higher calories, you're feeling better, and then you overeat and you're like, oh, why am I not losing weight? What the fuck's happening? And then that immediate urge is, can I drop my calories? Right? Mm. Can I just drop them down? Can I just minimize them a wee bit more? And it's like, no, until you've actually learned how this thing works and until you've healed whatever it is that's causing you to emotionally eat or overeat, we're only then contributing to the repetition of that cycle. And I honestly think what damages people so much is that so many programs will just give people what they want and not what they need. Oh, yeah. And because what they want is to lose a shit ton of weight in the fastest time possible, that coaching program says, this will be a fucking great before and after, no bother. Like, here you go, 1,200 calories, I'll get you exactly what you want. And other people just repeat that same cycle for someone over and over and over again, that until they come to us and we're like, we're breaking this cycle whether you like it or not, <laughs> sometimes we can get some some temper tantrums and they can definitely be like uh, what your client said to me the day oh Jen I thought you were a uh, good cop and I'm like no I'm bad cop just pretending to be a good cop we <laughs> 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 can very much be the bad cops of like why are you doing this to me and it's like because we know that you can have it all like yeah. we know that you don't need to do this cycle like you uh, there is another way here that you've just never learned before but I think it does take so much time for people to even recognise that they're in that cycle. Like you can definitely be in a bit of denial in that cycle, I think. Oh, most definitely. And do you know actually who comes to mind? Leanne. Yeah. So yeah. we have a client, Leanne, who's actually just about to come to the end of her tenure with us. She's been with us nearly two and a half years. And after the initial six months, she was struggling in this exact same way. And we ask our clients to stay with us until the job is done, right? And that is not a time frame for absolutely anyone. That doesn't mean your relationship with food is going to be healed within three months. It doesn't mean that you're going to be, be able to control your emotions and find an alternate um, coping mechanism for food within eight weeks, right? It doesn't mean that. We need to work with you to understand how the patterns work and how the behaviours work. And until we know absolutely everything, until we're able to ask the right questions, get the right feedback, have the, the right data, and essentially, we are never going to be able to help you to the best possible potential that we can. And I remember Leanne and I jumped in a call way back um, when she was initially kind of like six months into the program. She had been making moves and her intentions were all great, but she just kept falling at that kind of final hurdle of being able to not really give herself a tough time if she did overeat or if she did binge. And just to let you guys know, binge is thrown about way too much way yeah. too much word, right? And 
you need to understand that a binge is if you eat 1700 calories or more in one seat sitting and you'll lose control. Like you forcefully feel as if you cannot regain control and stop yourself from eating. So there is a differentiation. So when people tell me they binge and it's actually just overeating by a couple of hundred calories, I straight away tell them to, to change the way in which they speak about it. Because the thing is, the more in which they use that language, the more damaging it is to them over time to believe that they are stuck in a process that they cannot heal from and that potentially they've labeled themselves with something they do not have but also it can actually be quite detrimental through that language to other people that they speak to as well that actually are binging but may not know they're binging so what i mean by that is if you are someone who refers to what you do as overeating but it's actually described as a binge like that's the the way you describe it and someone else is binging as well and you talk to them about your binges and you talk to them about how like minimal your binges are and you're using that word that's going to fill them with a fucking great deal of shame a great deal of guilt and it's going to make them feel as if they are worse off and a lot of eating patterns especially like disordered eating patterns all come down to self-esteem like that's all where they are rooted from like from the ground like if your mum took you to fucking Scottish slimmers when you were nine years old, like you were told <laughs> you, need, you need to realise that your self-esteem has always been placed upon your weight because that's a belief system that someone else passed down from you. Um, where were we going with that chat before I went on to that there? <laughs> we were talking about like how how we watch the, the binge oh. and restrict cycle manifest and you were talking about yeah. Leanne. Leanne, Leanne, that's it. Sorry, I digress a lot of the time. Um, but I had, like to, us. Yeah, I had to put that in there. So yeah, Leanne jumped in a call with me about six months in, like crying her eyes out, can't do this. And I remember the conversation we had. I was very straight with her. And I basically just said, do you want to live this way forever? And she said, no. And I said, can you muster up the courage to work with us until we find a solution to this problem? And she said, yes. And it was murder, she wrote from there, because Leanne just went from strength to strength. One of the biggest things that she did do, alongside going through this program, because they should be synonymous with one another, was go through therapy at the same time to heal herself. Because everyone detaches often themselves from the relationship they also have with food. Whereas that's a part of you because it's, an issue with your self-esteem it's an issue with how you see yourself it's an issue with your confidence levels it's an issue with how you have been told over time that you are a particular way in comparison to other people it's the way in which you've been made feel left out remember that food is the most readily accessible form of drug if you want to call it that known to man and you don't have to look far to find very multi-ingredient based foods that are really high in calories that have great textures, great moisture, just great fucking taste to feel as though you can over-consume in it. Like, if you're feeling that way and you live next to a fucking Tesco, it's down the stair. Takes you two seconds to nip down to a Tesco and grab something. If you're someone that often has snacks around the house, the environmental cue of when I feel emotional, I'm just going to go directly to the snack cupboard and start to eat it. And Leanne started working with us through it very closely. She had got to a really good place with her food, and then realized, you know what, if this is how far I can come on my own, what can I do with professional help elsewhere as well to look at the other gaps that I've got? She now goes on holiday about fucking nine times a year. <laughs> oh my God, she is never here. <laughs> never in this country. She's in Poland right now. Um, she's in Poland right now. So um, she 
which goes away, her standards are still just so locked in because it's a way of life. Like she knows herself as the person she is today. She will go on a plane and she'll journal. She'll wake up in the morning with a coffee and she'll take herself somewhere so she can write in her journal. She will basically say to whoever she's out for food with, this is the meal I am having because it makes me feel good. She will let herself overconsume on calories where it's necessary and where it's most fun and she will not beat herself up for it. She will not think that all progress is lost. She will not think she's fallen back into bad habits. She will not say to herself that she's fucked up because it's a choice, because she knows she's in total control. So this is a very a very delicate subject in a sense, but it's one that we also can speak about. We're not qualified to eat with people with eating disorders as such. Um all we can do is try and guide people to improve the relationship they have with themselves. Like that is what we aim to do. If you need professional help with an eating disorder, you need to seek out professional help. But there are disordered eating tendencies as well that aren't actually classed as like eating disorders. Yeah. And disordered eating tendencies can be something as simple as not eating three nourishing meals per day and having one nourishing meal per day just so you can snack outside of it. That's disordered eating. And I don't think people quite realise that. Yeah, or, sorry, when you go. No, no, what were you going to say? Were you going to give another example? I was just going to say, or like cutting out food groups. So like, oh, I don't eat bread. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's yeah, 100%. It's a, it's a form of disordered eating. And I don't think a lot of people recognise that. And it is a form of belief systems. And very often it comes from being told that these things are bad. It's, it's singling out particular types of food when you go through a process of potentially losing yourself over time. So if you have gained weight and you're eating tons of fucking bread and you want to lose weight, so you're like, bread's the issue because you eat tons of bread, but you also eat hundreds of fucking cookies and ice cream and crisps and you drink full sugar, Coke and fucking <laughs> all the rest of it. It's not the bread's fault, right? It is the fact that you're over-consuming on calories. But we talk about this, even though it's a delicate subject, because we both experienced it which is the most important thing like you've been there i've been there i know from my perspective my binge eating was just all down to my self-worth and i'll give you the exact reason as to why it was always felt like an outsider never ever felt admired respected by anyone never really felt like i had a voice unless i was trying to be the funny guy or trying to be the guy that would do shit that no one else would do and get myself into trouble i always felt as though people would judge me i always felt as though i was I was very unsure of the actions that I wanted to take in my life and the decisions. So it was quite erratic in a sense. Like I knew who I was deep down, but I never wanted to follow my intuition and be that person because I always felt singled out for being that person when I was younger. I never felt like I was the best at sport, never felt like I was the most attractive amongst females, never felt as though I was really cared for in the best way possible from people around me um, in comparison to potentially the relationships they had with others. So like friendship circles, they would talk to each other all the time, talk about music, talk about particular movies that I didn't like and I wasn't interested in. So again, made me feel like an outsider. So then I decided, you know what? Let's um, let's set a standard and let me try and do something for myself that separates me from anyone else, something that's just for me. So I decided to compete in a physique competition and I went through that process, got in fucking incredible shape. Really do think I should have placed to this day, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> Went through that process, even going through that process, I was a coach at the time, but I also didn't really like anyone in the fitness industry. And even today, don't get me wrong, the fitness industry is very, very different from what it was. But I still do think a lot of people in the fitness industry are just cunts. 
they're egotistical, they're insecure, their self-esteem is through the floor. Like, nothing pisses me off more than going on Instagram and seeing aesthetically based, like, aesthetic-based content that has no fucking purpose, right? Like, a motivational fucking speech with a girl stepping onto a stairmaster just to show her arse off. 50k likes, right? But also, how bad does that make someone else feel who isn't the most attractive? Do you know those studies that's come out recently that people are actually more likely to take advice from people who are more attractive? Yeah. Work with people who are more attractive that will actively try and be around people who are more attractive, right? Now, I'm not saying that all unattractive or all attractive people are fucking stupid, but a lot of unattractive people, a lot of attractive people are fucking stupid, right? And that's because a lot of the time, if you've always just had your looks as well, I'm really going off in one here, you can fucking tell. This isn't because I'm insecure on attractive people, by the way. It's like a fucking truth of the matter and what I've observed from being really good at reading human behavior. A lot of the time, very attractive people will have had it comfortable throughout their life. They will have felt admired. They will have been the popular ones. They will have had the social status. They might not have had a lot of challenge. And as a result, they've been very desirable. So they've got what they've wanted in a lot of situations, which means that they have lower levels of emotional intelligence, which means that they do not understand what someone is going through who feels like they're ugly and overweight and fucking depressed, right? They do not understand it. So you have to recognize and understand that you need to take advice from the people who are in a position to be able to give it the most based upon their experiences and why they have done things. And listen, I'm not saying that attractive people don't suffer with their self-esteem and stuff like that as well, because often they can be people who compare themselves to others so much because they are insecure with the way that they look, because yes, maybe their looks are all that they fucking have and that's all they feel they have and that's all that define them, like that ego beliefs, like I am like what I have, like your looks, your attraction, your money, whatever it may be. So I remember I um, stepped on stage and I, I dieted fucking so hard for 20 weeks Get told I wasn't placing within two minutes, so went out, done the usual lineup, done your fucking quarter turns, all the rest of it, and then two minutes later, it was like, right, um, you've not placed. But I was so confident, because I seen the guys I was up against. I remember taking my top off in the change room, and guys actually turning their heads at me, and I was like, oh, I've got something here. And then <laughs> when it didn't go that way on stage, I was like, what the fuck? What's just happened? You know? And because I had that belief in myself for a change to create something that I believed I could do very well at, to then see that I'd actually built something that was actually better than some of the people around me, and then to be told it still wasn't fucking good enough, literally like broke me. I remember I went on holiday about three weeks after that competition, and it used to be normalised in uh, bodybuilding competitions and stuff that you, oh, you'd bounce after. You would rebound. Yep. So it was like normalised. It's like the fucking post-show rebound. I put on two and a half stone by the time I went on holiday, and my friends around the pool, which made me feel even worse started showing some of the girls that we met on holiday what I looked like three weeks ago. And they were like, that's not fucking you. Like, no way. What happened? Pure like, what happened? And I'm like, okay, just make me feel even worse. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, but that massively impacted my self-esteem. Then what I tried to do stupidly, stupidly, the following year was I tried to go through and compete again while I was eating with the fucking binge eating disorder. Because all I could think about is I can't get a control, I can't get control in my food. So I need to diet to the extreme because I need something to drive me and stay accountable to. Right. And that's what people believe going through this process, like you said at the beginning. Like this is the last time I'm ever going to be, like have to restrict. And I actually still got in fucking really good shape. I don't know how I done it, but I did I actually remember like I binged out one time I'd went to the cinema 
and I hadn't had a meal in fucking like seven hours. Um, and essentially I just hadn't timed my meals and stuff like that well. And I came out and I just fucking went to Tesco and I bought so much. Like I sat in my car with Reese's peanut butter cups, fucking kind fastics, and I just I, I think I sat there for about 45 minutes just scanning this. Um and at that point I was I remember thinking to myself, like, I need to see this through. I'm a stubborn fuck, so when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something. I was like, I need to see this through, but I need to fix this problem because this is not normal. And you've done the same. So you've been in that position where you've, like, been binge, restrict, binge, restrict, and you've came to me and you've been like, <laughs> five stone in six months. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. It's fucking wild. But um, really, I really enjoyed that tangent, by the way. You, you need to do the... We need to do a podcast when you're sleep deprived more often. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you're attractive and you're listening to this, I'm not having a, a direct go at you unless you're a cunt um, and you're and you're doing damage to people. Um, yeah. But I do I do thoroughly believe that people choose it for their own reasons. Like I've actually seen it in the fitness industry before. I've seen myself put out some really fucking good content. We know what we do is good, and I know some of the content I put there, put out there is great. But then I see someone with less followers who's more aesthetically better looking, like getting hundreds of followers, like hundreds of pictures, hundreds of likes on the pictures. And it's the same, like whenever I see any like female fit pros, right? I go on and it'll be a reel with a sentence. Their posts will be like, believe in yourself as they're bent over in Thailand, clapping a monkey. But the picture is basically taken from the back and you can see right up their fucking arsehole, right? Love, love. <laughs> honestly it's fucking ridiculous and there's like a thousand likes and you're like okay most of them are probably pervy guys um i i would like to add a disclaimer here that it's not just women that do that like i'm fucking oh, no, sick not. to death of watching men grill chicken topless like and tell me they're fucking high protein low calorie meal prep that they just happen to have their top off for boring listen i was actually going to come on to guys after i wasn't just dissing you women <laughs> guys are even worse because guys um, guys want to feel admired more than anything because they want to feel as if they're in a position of power. If you give man like a man a purpose um, that will allow him to feel respected and admired, he will literally like fucking crawl over broken glass with a smile to make it happen. And I think for many men, the purpose is get in great shape from a vanity perspective because then I will feel appreciated, respected by women. I will have more admiration from my fellow men. I will feel like the alpha male, that whole kind of thing. And a lot of that usually is driven by insecurity from people who were maybe bullied when they were a kid or picked on by their parents a little bit more for their weight because they were maybe bigger than the other kids and all of this sort of stuff. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have been driven to change. You definitely should have been. But I think there's a there's a poor level of awareness sometimes with these people that everything is about vanity. Like if you just get in great shape, everything will be fine because I got in great shape for my troubles and everything is fine. Right. Yeah. And, and, and they, I feel like they don't show you what it takes to get to that point. Right. Like, cause do you remember um, when Zac Efron did his TV program not that long ago? Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. The guy is in still an absolutely fucking incredible shape, right? He looks great. You can tell I'm a big Zac Efron fan, right? But looks fucking fabulous. But because he wasn't in the same, like, Hollywood shredded shape that he had to get in for films, 
everybody was commenting on his body being like, fuck, he's let himself go. Like, what's happened to him? Or like um, the guy for Twilight, the guy that played the wolf in Twilight. Oh, um, Taylor Lautner. Taylor Lautner. Yeah. He was the same. So obviously, like, extremely, extreme shredded for the Twilight films, but did another film where he didn't have to be shredded and everyone was like, oh my God, he's let himself go, he's let himself go. And both of them spoke about, like, how they had to develop, like, disordered eating to be able to get and maintain those shapes. And I think people don't sometimes realise, actually, like, even when it does come to people like bodybuilding prep for shows, all that, I don't think people quite realise how extreme and volatile your food intake and your training has to be to maintain that kind of that kind of physique. So like Zach Efron spoke about it being like he had to train like twice a day, seven days a week. Like he, he was fucking eating like poverty calories. Like he was he had no libido. Like he, he felt like Ellie's mental health was fucking through the floor. Like he was making these movies, like felt shit about himself. Like his self-confidence, his self-esteem were through the floor everybody was telling him he looked amazing but he felt like utter shit and it's only now that he's not focused on his physique that he's got a positive relationship with food and his body like the man hadn't eaten a carbohydrate in 10 years like so fucking sad and like Taylor Lautner I think had a very similar thing where it was like I was 20 years old of course I had that I was able to get that kind of fucking physique like I'm in my 30s, like, and I have a normal life and I don't I don't want to look that way. But everybody, people were making like before and afters, like what he looked like. And it's just like that's what fucks me off so much about people who sell the body image only, is they don't make it clear to other people what has to exist for the maintenance of that body image to be possible. Like for that fucking eight-pack to exist year-round means year-round fucking disordered eating for quite a lot of people not all people but for a lot of them and for them it did so I feel like my issue with the cell and the shape is your body might not be able to look like that like you're like no matter what if you do exactly what that person does that doesn't mean that your body is going to look that way but they sell you on the belief that if you do what they do you'll have a body just like them. It's fucking bullshit. It really reminds me of, do you remember, like, back in the day when they would do, like, celebrities would do, like, interviews in magazines, right, about, like, their diet. In fact, it wasn't even, like, way back in the day. In the heroin chic days, they were, like, I eat fucking air and I smoke cigarettes and I drink a Diet Coke if I feel like I'm going to faint. They were very transparent about it back then. But do you remember, maybe around, like, kind of 2010 onwards, all the extremely thin women pretending that they like the pizza. Oh my god, I, the Kardashians have been doing it recently, right? Oh my god, we're pure foodies. We eat all the time, and it's like. But then Kim Kardashian in the next episode is talking about how oh, she was fucking tomatoes for two weeks to fit in Marilyn Monroe's dress, right? We know that you're not eating fucking pizza and burgers, but they're putting it as like a centerpiece in their program to try and make it look like they do, right? And it's like, we know for a fact that you're not eating shit and eating pizza and all that. But then that tells us, oh, I should be able to eat all that food and still look like them. So actually, I should be able to eat like that and look like them. But that's not working for me. So then again, I'm the problem. Why am I doing what they're doing? But then I don't look like them. So it creates such a fucking distortion. That's why I think like it really, really pisses me off when people sell with their bodies and sell with their looks because they're promising something to someone that 
just might not be achievable. And also, what are you going to do when you don't look like that anymore? Oh, 100%. What are you going to do with your life when you can't sell people based on your six pack? Exactly. I could not agree more. And that's why I've always looked at this career and like this program from a longevity perspective. Because the thing is, I know there's going to be times where I'm like ripped and then there's times I'm not. The good thing that I went through last year was my longest phase of like staying lean for a like prolonged period of time. And you know, it was actually pretty easy to maintain it, but that's because there's so many years of foundations to go into knowing what was right and building a relationship where I actually do enjoy whole foods, where I'm not relying upon like really multi-ingredient based foods. Like me and you still get a cookie when we go for a coffee and all that sort of stuff. Before I used to not be able to stop at a cookie. Like I can stop at a cookie now. You know what I mean? Until you leave yours behind and then I eat it like a couple of days later. I'm still <laughs> raging I never got that fucking cookie. <laughs> but that, and then also like, I do have really big goals. Like if I'm fucking running marathons, doing half Ironmans, like I'm a very active guy. Like I, I'm, I will work all day long and I'll still go out for like an hour long walk if I can, just because I can. Like not everyone is the same as well. And that's why you can't compare your entire life to someone else's surface life either because you're not seeing what goes in behind the scenes i'm not too sure if like even you guys listening will have maybe seen some of the stuff in my instagram when we've posted rules of this podcast if you look at me i'm always moving my head i'm always moving my hands that is like extreme ninat output so it's like non-exercise non-activity thermogenesis you actively burn more calories the more frequently you move even if it's sitting tapping your feet if it's moving your head if it's waving your hands around other people might just sit very fucking still. Other people will maybe not have the urge to get up and move, right? We'll often sit down at night and Joanne will go, oh, babe, can you get up and can you go and get me um, a can of Diet Coke? I forgot to get one. Then I'll do it. And she'll be like, I'll sit right back down, right? I'll literally sit down. And then she'll this go- This is Paul's oh. life. And she'll go, babe, I just remembered I left my phone in charge through in the room. Could you get it for me? Because she's sitting, we've got like an L sofa. So she will lie on the bit with the long legs and leave me to just fucking sit like a normal guy, right? And she never moves. Then she'll put like a, a wee throw over her. So she's like, I'm so comfy. I don't want to move. I'm like, oh, oh, pissing me off. So then I'll go through, I'll get her phone and then I'll sit down and then she'll be like, oh, can you now go and put this in the bin? And I'm like, are you just trying to wind me up by getting me to go up so much? But deep down, I fucking like it as well. I'm like, it gives me an opportunity not to have to sit here on Mars. And it's not because I don't like to rest either. It's just that I do like to be on the move and I can rest. And that's the difference. A lot of people that say this, they can't rest. They say things like, oh, I can't be alone with my own thoughts. And that probably straight away is a sign of some form of never-ending cycle. Because if you can't be alone with your own thoughts, if you ever, ever are, you're going to go to food. If you ever are, you're probably going to go to other people. It can be gambling, like online gambling and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, if you have to force yourself to go and spend time with people and make more social plans, you probably drink multiple times per week, maybe heavily multiple times per week, because you cannot sit with your own thoughts. There's a difference between being active because you love to be active and being active to just fulfill this never-ending cycle of, I need to be so busy and do everything and stay active enough to not have to sit with my own thoughts, but also because I have to overly overly exert myself to get into the shape that I want to get in as well. Like I, I, I like genuinely love exercise and training. Now I've always loved it to a degree, but I know when I first started getting into it, it was to prove every fucker wrong, to stand out for a change, to have like a, a higher level of like strength around me because getting picked on for me always made me feel as if I couldn't handle myself. Now, just because I fucking love the grind, man. <laughs> yeah. 
but the, the intention's different, right? Like yeah, this, exactly. this is the thing that change. This is the thing that shifts you out the cycle. See, if you're listening to this and you're in a never-ending cycle, I, I hold this. We hold the solution in our hands, and the solution is shifting the intention. Yeah. It's literally that simple. There has to be an intention that isn't rooted in ego for you to be able to break this cycle. It's yeah. it's genuinely that fucking simple, and like. I was in another, I was a guest on a podcast earlier today and I was talking about this, like, obviously when I went through the process initially with you and I did lose, I lost five stone and I lost a good chunk of weight initially and then my weight kind of yo-yoed a wee bit for a mm. while and then it was like four months out from my wedding and I was like, enough's enough, I need to get a grip and I was really, really focused in on Every, the purpose behind everything was not hating myself in the foes. That yeah. was it, right? And I can remember, like, I did my hot seat, and everything I said in my hot seat was genuine. Like, don't get me wrong, but at that point, I had achieved major change in other areas of my life. But I thought that I was doing it for the right reasons back then, right? When now, when I reflect back, I was like, you were literally doing that so that you didn't hate yourself in your wedding day. Like that that was the that was the only purpose. That was the only intention. And it was so rooted in ego because my self-esteem was still so low and my belief in myself was still so low that the only way I could engage in that weight loss was giving it a purpose like that. Yeah. And I did, right? I achieved it. I looked great. I was proud of myself. And then as soon as the event was over with, I was fucking lost. I had no, I had, there was no purpose for it anymore. There was no reason for it anymore. And I was so complacent that I was like, oh, that's me. That's my life changed now. That's me cured. That's me fixed. Because I've lost weight, I've now fixed my relationship with food. And that was fucking bullshit. All I had done by that point was fuel it even more by reinforcing the same story of you need to have something pulling you forward. You need to be doing it for something and like don't get me wrong there were still like I had still come by that point a monumental way forward if you remove weight loss from the equation entirely I'd made huge life changes that have sustained up until now um as it is after that time but the reason that I wasn't able to sustain it was because one I thought that because I, lo I had lost weight I knew how to maintain weight but actually the real issue was that I wasn't even trying to maintain, I was trying to lose more. So I'd just come off of the back of a huge amount of time trying to lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. And what I really should have done was been fucking honest with myself and said, I need some time away from losing weight. But I didn't because I wanted it all because my ego fucking wanted it all. And I was like, you're so close, fucking one more stone and you're done, one more stone and you're done, right? And then I would get that. It was like you back in the gym, you would be like, give me two more reps, two more reps. And at day one, you'd be like, two more reps, that was me. I was like, one more stone, one more stone, one more stone. And actually, it was the biggest fucking mistake that I could have probably made because I got so complacent that I thought I was fucking cured. And then the minute life got difficult again, I went immediately back because I hadn't healed the relationship with food. I'd, I'd, only, I'd, I'd only fucking kept dieting and done nothing to heal the relationship because it was still hard. It was still an effort. It was still obsessive. Like it was still, it was still for all the wrong reasons. And then I put back on, like almost the, not the full amount, but like I would say bar a stone, I put most of that weight back on. And not now because I have lost weight since, which I'm very proud of myself for. But the difference this time now is that 
like I said, I know I spoke about this in the last episode, but like I kept trying to lose weight and you were like, you need to accept that it's just not a priority for you right now. Mm-hmm. And I did accept it and I waited until there was time and space for it to be a priority. But the difference this time on going on this, a big weight loss journey again is it, it's so fucking easy now. Like I said this to you recently, like I feel like the weight's just kind of coming off and I'm not actively doing anything to make it happen. And it's because the intention behind it is different. I feel like I had to go through that experience of one, showing myself that I could lose a huge amount of weight and keep it off for for a relatively sustainable period of time because I did spend after that time a a long chunk of time in maintenance without the intention of being in maintenance. But I I was in maintenance for a good, I would say, what, six months after that? So... I had to show myself that one, I was capable of doing it, even if it wasn't my intention to do it, that I was capable of actually getting weight off. And I feel like it's never about me understanding that. I I feel like I learned so much from regaining all that weight that it's it's given me the evidence that it it's got fuck all to do with how you look. Like the intention now is because I want to live my life in a certain way and I, I need to be at a healthy weight to be able to do that. Like, I ran a half marathon at 16 stone. Like, it was fucking tough. And actually, if I had ran that marathon at, tw- like, half marathon at 12 stone, I'd probably shaved about an hour off my time, right? But it was physically really, really hard and really, really demanding that if I'm at a lower weight, I could probably do a marathon, Right then now at this weight, I probably couldn't do a marathon because it would be too demanding. I mean, you're looking at me like, you, you definitely could, right? But I know that I wouldn't want to because I know how physically, how much more physically demanding it would be, how much slower I would be. And like, I just, I feel like now it's not even so much about the purpose behind why I want to lose weight, but more the things that I want to be present and part of my day-to-day life that then creates weight loss. So like before it was all about like, looking after my fucking skin so that it didn't look ugly and so that my makeup didn't look shite on my wedding day like it was also focused on that one thing instead of it just being about how do I generally look after myself and it's funny because I really thought I had broken the cycle but actually I was just fucking feeling it all I was doing was loading that cycle up and loading up and loading up because see as soon as the wedding was done I literally spent my entire honeymoon fucking binging there was actually one point me and Paul were driving so we got married like during just at the tail end of lockdown so everything was still restaurants and stuff were open but we couldn't go abroad right like Scotland had started to open I think we were like tier two or tier one or something like that but we couldn't go abroad so we stayed in different hotels around Scotland (laughs) we were staying at um, Cornhill Castle, fucking beautiful hotel. We stayed in their big honeymoon suite and we got room service and all that's fucking great. But we literally just ate, like fucking ate and ate and ate. And then in the morning, because we're Scottish and the breakfast was free, we obviously had to force ourselves to eat it, even though we weren't hungry. And we were driving from Bigger to Edinburgh and at one point in the car, Paul was like, I'm going to have a heart attack and he stopped driving because we'd eaten so much. I genuinely believe that we were the fucking verge of a heart attack. But like, I literally just spent like the the next fucking week after that just binging, binge, like, binge, like, not even, maybe not necessarily binge eating, but there probably was a bit of binge eating in there, but like overeating, telling myself that it was okay because I'd come through this massive period of restriction and this was my reward. 
and yeah. this was the thing at the other side instead of it being centered around like i want to enjoy some nice food like the intention behind it was so so different and i remember like going back to work on the monday after all and i was like oh shit i need to go back on the diet like it was very much back on the diet back to doing all that shit that i don't want to do and i feel like I'm so, it sounds weird to say, but I'm so glad that I regained that weight. Like, I'm I'm actually so glad that I went through that period of time of regaining all of that weight, feeling the pain of being back at a size that I never thought I would be again, having to buy new clothes, fucking hating what I've seen in the mirror, really, really struggling with my own self-worth and my own self-esteem because I recognised that as long as the self-worth and the self-esteem were low, I was never, ever going to break this cycle. And at that point, I was forced to face my demons and I was like, I need to heal from this and healing from it was going to therapy and and healing from the thing that was fueling the cycle, right? Because it was was me that was fueling it. It was me and the way that I seen myself that was at the root of all of this. And it's so funny that now I feel like I've healed that. My life has changed in so many other ways dramatically simply because how I view myself has changed so because how I view myself has changed the work that I choose to do has changed the way I speak to people has changed the authority that I have with people has changed the way I view food has changed like I would much rather now go out on a Saturday with Paul and go to a nice restaurant we've never been to before than fucking be fat and shattered and order a takeaway like I'm still probably, I could still be eating the same amount of calories than I would if I was getting a takeaway, but actually that doesn't matter because it's about the experience and the enjoyment of it. It's no longer this thing that's I'm being driven to from a place of emotion. Yeah. Like, and, and it, is, it literally is because this has all been done with a different intention. This time it's so, it's genuinely so easy. Like, weight loss is hard, but see once you, see once you really get to grips with why it's important to you and why that actually even matters you 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 become so connected to it that you don't even need to focus on it it just happens 100 and the thing is something to contextualize here as well is um obviously like you messaged me last week guys listening back to the podcast you probably won't know this jen fell down the stairs and fractured her ankle um she's in a she's in a moon book so she takes me freaking out like because she wants to to she has a weight loss goal but she should fucking do now that she's went through that healing process for my wedding, which is on the 5th of July, and she's well on track to achieve it, and it is far easier this time. So she messaged me, she's like, right, I'm not moving, I'm not going to be losing any weight. And I was like, trust me, you're going to be losing weight, right? Like, she was like, well, I, well, I lower my calories, and I'm like that. No, have you been eating what I told you? She was like, no, I've actually been eating less, I've not been hungry, and that's the point that I want to touch on. I'll also give you a shout-out, because obviously you've lost three stone, and you've totally just created new evidence that regardless of whether or not you are moving, you can still lose the weight. And that's the thing, guys. I want to just say this right now. You can lose weight on more calories than you believe that you can. The issue is that you don't adhere to it. You don't count those fucking roses you had in the work room, uh, the, 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 like the office at work. You do not count the extra scoop of Biscoff or Nutella every single day. You don't weigh out your butter. You tell yourself you take 10 grams when you take 40 grams. All of this sort of stuff. If you adhere to a T to your calories, you can eat more calories than you realize to lose weight. And I just want to say that there. And the thing about what we are discussing is the whole hunger thing. And many people will say to me, I'm ravenous. I just can't get a handle on my, my nutrition. I can't get a handle on um, the amount of food I'm eating. And I'm like, right, okay. 
So you binge out at the weekend, say you're way over calories both days. How do you feel on a Monday? Ravenous. Because you're not hungry. It's an emotional thing. Like you're not hungry. Whenever I have binge and I've been in that experience, you'll have been there too. When you binge eat, you feel as if you could just eat every single day to the same level, even though you start to feel shitty. And like we've said on previous podcasts, it's because that never-ending cycle is that you eat the food, you feel the shame and the guilt, so you eat the food again. Very simple process because it's the most accessible thing to reduce the amount of overwhelm you're, you're experiencing. Fuck, I've done it again. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm a disgusting whale. All of these things that start to come to mind and to try and quiet that voice and improve how you feel, you will re-engage and it's a vicious cycle. It's a never-ending cycle. So you need to recognize that a lot of the time after you binge, you're not hungry. You do not have another outlet for your emotions. You do not sit and write things down like you're supposed to. You don't listen to your favorite music. You do not go for a bath if you need to. You do not phone a friend when you're upset. Instead, you eat your feelings. You do not phone your mum if you need advice, perhaps, or someone who would give you the advice that you need. Don't always just presume it's a parent. A lot of parents can be fucking arseholes and not give you the advice that you're really seeking for. And you may have a bad relationship and just see them as a bit of a persecutor as well. So, like, you need to know where to go for these things. You need to have outlets. Because the thing is, the, the things that trigger emotional eating are hunger, anxiousness, anger, stress, loneliness, and tiredness, right? Now, let's look at this. Hunger, because you're over-restricting, right? Simple. You'll eat. Anxiousness, you are feeling a particular way. You're thinking a particular way. Um, you feel as though you need to try and get a handle on how fucking crazy your thoughts are. You need to get a handle on how you feel in a social circle. So you get pissed or you eat too much food. Like you don't sit and take part in the conversation. You just sit and eat your food really quickly. And because you eat it so quickly, you don't chew your food. By the way, guys, if you're listening to this, by chewing your food, it will fill you up for longer. If you wolf your food down, you essentially will still be hungry. And that's the thing, like I spoke about on a previous episode, more palatable foods, higher calorie, better texture. If you have a plate of pasta with nothing on it, you could probably only finish a bowl, right? Who would just eat white pasta? If you have multiple bowls of pasta sitting at the table, cream sauce, tomato sauce, oil, if you eat too quickly, you will finish a bowl of pasta and still be able to finish another four afterwards, right? So again, like these feelings drive you. Stress, like we discussed before, stress does not make you gain body fat. It's the fact that you eat because you're stressed. Loneliness as well. I have experienced this. This is when my binge eating would often be at its worst when I was alone. So I used to be that person that would do everything. I would be that person that couldn't sit with my feelings before, sit with my thoughts. I had to always be doing something. So if I was left alone on a Saturday or a Sunday, that is where I would just sit in my room and fucking pig out. But again, I could have found something else to do. Could have found another outlet, right? But this stuff wasn't available back then either. Like this, this guidance wasn't available. And finally, tiredness. So again, tiredness. You're hitting the gym three times a day because you want to lose your weight quicker. You are going to sleep at 12 o'clock at night because you are sitting up looking at people's bodies on Instagram. The blue light secretion is causing you to not release melatonin so you can't go into the relevant stages of sleep that will enable you to regenerate properly. It will also have an impact on the amount of fat you can lose. There have been studies done to show people who have slept for five and a half hours or more per night in comparison to those sleeping five and a half hours per less per night across a two-week period have roughly lost 3.8 pounds more. Because the thing is, when you sleep poorly as well, it also impacts things like your taste buds. It actually makes you want to eat more sugary foods. I've asked clients that before. After a poor night's sleep, what do you feel like? Loads of sugar. 
There you go. So then you wake up at 5 a.m. because you need to hit your first workout, right? You need to get 10,000 steps before work so you can hit your 20,000 step target. I know someone who was going through a transformation challenge uh, recently, and I'm not going to mention which one it was. And essentially, it was like eight or 12 weeks. I can't remember. And they started, and these are the same. Like, it's all the same plans for everyone, right? And if you can stick to it, great, but you need to have experience to be able to stick to it. And I have pinpointed this out previously about these things. You'll see people say we've had 250 signups, but there are only 50 transformations. What happened to the other 200 people? Mm. Right, which no one thinks about. They're like, oh my God, look how good these people look going through this. There's 200 people that have not had the transformation because it's been too cookie cutter and it's not taking the person into account. So this transformation thing was like, for women, say, for example, started off at 1,800 calories, 10K steps per day, three workouts per week, um, protein target, hydration target, all of that sort of stuff. And then through to the final like one or two weeks, it was five training sessions, 1,200 calories, 45 minutes on the Stairmaster, 20,000 steps per day, all of that sort of stuff within a, like within that eight or 12 week, whatever it was. And I was thinking to myself, for fuck's sake, like, don't get me wrong, Joanne, uh, Joanne, Jen, Jen, we, 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 could, we could do that. We could get people into shit like that. I, I can easily make that happen, 100%. Do we? No, because it's not fucking ethical. Really, because it doesn't take the person into account. What you were saying there about the fact that obviously you felt that you were ready before the last time to like lose that weight and the right way, the right intention. Sometimes you need to feel for me then to be able to understand where your headspace was. Because see, if you think you're doing the right thing, then of course you're going to tell me you're doing the right thing. And the thing is, people are very good at, at hiding the gaps. Like when I was cutting from a competition, no one would have believed that I had a binge eating disorder. I was fucking really good at hiding it. And I was looking good so why the fuck would anyone believe it so then through that we understand more of you yeah. and you know what i trust you now with this information because i've always trusted you to get me to where i need to be i trust you to now take me to that next level and that's why we work with people for so long sometimes because they do have that trust in us they learn more about themselves so subsequently we learn more and we have the answers they need at that point yeah absolutely and i think like when, when you're already passing so much guilt eh, so much you've, you're feeling so much shame and guilt in yourself and passing so much judgment on yourself it's really hard to admit to someone else that I'm not telling you this because I'm expecting you to judge me too and the thing is is that sometimes in those moments you don't know that's what's happening like when me and you were speaking then I was telling you like I, I feel like I've turned a corner and I, I, I finally figured it out and I finally unlocked the secret and I'm ready and I'm raring to go and Yes, it was a lovely place to be in, but I was so fucking naive about what I thought was the answer because without even realising it at the time, I was just doing, I was fueling that same perspective of restriction, not to the same extreme, and I was definitely taking a better approach than I had in the past, but again, coming back to that intention... The, the intention was the thing that that point hadn't shifted because the thing that really put a rocket up Marsh was again that fear and I think like a lot of the time for people I think they don't they don't recognize that to be restrictive in some areas to then be able to get the joy out of others that's that's a something that's a skill that you have to learn and I think that like there was once a time so now I will do like the calorie banking thing so I will do like a set amount of calories through the week 
and then at the weekend I will have higher calories. I'm still in a deficit and I still track what I'm eating when I eat the higher calories, which is fucking crucial. But I will use higher calories at the weekend based on a caloric surplus over the week because I know myself to know that I will not eat the same stuff during the week at the weekend. As simple as that. I know that I make an, an environmental association with my downtime that I want to enjoy more food at the weekend because it's my downtime, it's my time off work. I like to go for a nice dinner. I like to go for a nice lunch. I like to enjoy my food a wee bit more when I've got time off. I've now created a level of discipline around food and healed my relationship with food so that when I am banking calories during the week, I don't consciously register that as restriction and I have the ability to adhere. I've learned calorie adherence now that it doesn't, it's not something that's going to lead me to overeat anymore. It's not something that's going to lead me to binge. I've shown myself that I can actually do that during the week and then enjoy more calories at the weekend because that's what works for me. But if you're still stuck in the depths of the binge and restrict cycle, as soon as you tell yourself I'm under eating or I am restricting, you're creating the conditions for a binge, right? I haven't binge eaten now and I couldn't even tell you the last time. It's been such a long time, right? So I know now that because I've healed the root of it, because I've healed the emotion that was driving it and I've found other emotional outlets, I'm not going to turn to food as an emotional outlet. And like, obviously when I said to you, when I came to you with this injury and I was like, oh, I'm freaking out. And I think it was because I immediately went back to the last time I had a severe injury when I snapped my humerus in fucking four places playing American football. All I did to cope during that time was binge eat. So I would go to the shop. My old flat in Hamilton, we had a shop like direct, like through the wall, like directly next door. And every single day I would go into the shop because Paul was at work and I couldn't go to work because I was stuck in the house. I was working from home. And I would go to the shop. I would buy a fuckload of snacks and I would secretly eat them all so that by the time he got home, he didn't know that I'd eaten them. And the thing is, is the the weirdest bit about it all is he wouldn't really have, like, he wouldn't have cared. Like, he knew I was miserable and in the house with a broken arm. He wasn't going to say anything to me, but for me, I was full of the shame and the guilt, so I had to hide that. And I would do that every single day, and that was how I coped. That My body just went, oh my God, you're under, you're going to binge it again. Like, my mind just immediately thought, this is what's going to happen again. And actually... Now that I've realised two weeks into this injury, I've still lost weight. And I'm like, oh, so that was just something I was doing to cope. That was my coping strategy. Whereas now that I've got other coping strategies, it's not it's not something that I immediately turn to. And I spoke yeah. to Jean about that this week. I was like, I need another coping strategy to add in here because exercise has been taken away. And that's something that I've been using to cope. So it's about adding something else back in. Instead of just expecting yourself to fucking go on with it and walking yourself back into that cycle. Like, I, I can't stress how important it is that wherever your relationship with food started, you, you have to find a way of healing that. And you can't, you can't just heal your relationship with food by losing weight. Like... You can't just heal your relationship with food by tra- tracking Monday to Friday and then overeating at the weekend and then not wanting to overeat but still wanting to go out. Like We've had a couple of people, I think we've had three, three or four people this week that we've spoken to so far about the ability to be able to heal from your relationship with food, enjoy social events, 
but still get to the goal that you want, the primary objective, which is healing your relationship with food and it not ruling you anymore. And like, I was thinking about Leanne because I was like, Leanne goes on holiday now and she enjoys her food. Like we have loads of clients now who will go on holiday. Like I think like Tam will go, he goes on his cruise, he enjoys his food, but he's still got other principles that exist for him to be able to enjoy the food, right? Leanne's the same. She will still journal, she will still train, she will still get her steps, she'll still do all of those things so that she can enjoy the food. And it, it, it's one of those things where because it's the thing that's bringing you the most pain, it's where people focus all their energy and all of their attention and actually your only your only job in that moment is to heal for the thing that's causing the pain and 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 until you heal the thing that's driving the pain and driving food as the outlet you're staying in that never-ending cycle yeah and what i would like to say here is a lot of that can be done through showing that you can rebuild your self-esteem from the ground up for yourself like not doing things for anyone else not listening to anyone else you getting up every single day when you don't want to and doing work going to the gym setting a running goal like tracking your nutrition without without expectation without pressure you know like okay what are my maintenance calories i'm going to stick this for a while i've said for so long you need to have those foundations in place first and even like what you were talking about before like going back to to the food when you you you've seen something challenging crop up in your life this is something i say to my clients our clients all the time is most of the time you're not falling back into bad habits you're just coming up against something that you don't have the skills to deal with. And that's exactly what it was. Like for you, you didn't have the skill set to go through that level of intense therapy. You'd been through intense therapy before and you thought it was what you needed. But then when you actually went through it the, the real way, <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm not fucking equipped for this. And you also were building a business where you lived in your mother-in-law's spare room. Um, <laughs> yeah. Your values- And working full-time. And working full-time. One of your main values is inde- independence. So then feeling as if you had to live there- well, obviously saving for the house because you've been at like you've been saving for the wedding as well. Um, it just kind of made you feel as if like part of you'd been taken away. So that again can disrupt the fucking algorithm of what you're trying to achieve. Like these things are challenges, and sometimes it's like, right, okay, you do have a fat loss goal. Cool. We'll pull back for two months, then we'll go back to it when things clear up a little bit. But I also think I just want to give a little caveat to this here because I think some people can listen and let themselves away with it too much to the point where they justify being able to eat because of challenge. And that shouldn't be the case either. It shouldn't be the case. Like when you're trying to heal your relationship with food, you should be actively trying to find solutions to heal your relationship with food. You shouldn't be going, okay, well, it's justified and normal for me to be doing this because of these challenges. So I'm just going to continue to do it until hopefully the challenges pass. No, it doesn't work that way. The more that you continue to do it as well, the more it will continue to just completely fucking catastrophize your self-esteem. You'll start to lose your sense of identity. You'll start to feel more insecure. You'll start to feel more anxious, more depressed. And the more that you habitualize something, the harder it is to then pull yourself out of it, right? So you really want to get a handle on that. And what I was kind of talking about before Holt, I think it'd be quite good to kind of like give a few kind of action steps of what people could do if they're like emotional eating. And guys, my number one recommendation, if you're going to be open to it and listen, because I'm going to fucking tell you anyway, is to work with us. Because see, up until this point, if you have not recognized that we do a very different form of work, and I'll say this on Instagram all the time, we differentiate ourselves from what other people do in the market here, right? We do, we do the hard work that no one else is willing to do. 
right? And it's fucking hard. It is hard for both of us. Like, as you say, we can very often be sleep deprived from it. Like the fucking work that we do, but we do it because we know it's far more fulfilling and people can get so much more from it and people will actually find sustainability from it as well. So I would recommend that you work with us if you've got any of these problems, even if you've not, even if you want to take yourself to the fucking next level and you don't struggle with your food, work with us because we will give you more time, more effort, more support than I know anyone will because we're that fucking invested. And if you don't and you choose someone else, just make sure you've done your fucking homework. Just make sure they care for the person as much as we care for the person. But if we look at hunger, for example, and this is why it is important to work with someone, because we could give these tips. These are tips that people will always give on Instagram, personal trainers, coaches, whatever it may be. And there's usually not a justified reason behind it as to why. Like, why is someone telling me to eat three meals per day, like between this time and this time and blah, 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 blah. And it's because, number one, halt, hunger. You need to make sure that you're saturated and satisfied for longer periods of time from whole foods. You should not consume more than roughly about 10% of your calories per day from snack-type options or more calorically dense foods if you're a female, really, and 20% if you're a guy. Guys usually have more, more calories, of course, than females, especially when they're going through a calorie deficit. But even at maintenance, it should be the same because you're trying to nourish your body. You're trying to fill yourself up for longer periods of time. If you do not eat breakfast, do not eat breakfast. That's okay, but don't actively restrict it because you're trying to lose weight. Eat when you feel is appropriate based upon your hunger levels. Listen intuitively to your body and eat when it's hungry. Say, for example, you trial that one day and you're hungry, you're hungry at 10 o'clock, eat your meal at 10 o'clock, and then roughly have it systemized every kind of three to five hours thereafter. I think if you're eating at 10 o'clock, anywhere between two to three again is great, and then anywhere again about seven, half past seven at night, it gives you enough time to digest your food before you then go to bed as well. And the thing is, your circadian rhythm, your biological clock, loves routine. So the more you can get into that routine, the less you're going to feel hungry at other points. Would you like to talk about some coping mechanisms for like the anxiety and the stress bit? I think um, I think one one of the biggest things, maybe not in terms of coping mechanism, but from an awareness point of view, is that nine times out of ten, when you go to snack, it's a conditioned response to the environment that you're in or the stimulus that you've just experienced. So whenever you say things like, oh, I'm a really snacky person, you're always snacky in the same places at the same times of day because your brain has created a conditioned response with the behaviour based on the stimulus that it's experienced so you might eat fuck all at work all day and then come home and read the cupboards because you've created a conditioned response of i don't eat anything when i'm at work right you might be the opposite and pick 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 at anything that's available at work all day and then go home at night and then not feel up to eating a meal and then think oh well that's great because i'm not actually eating a meal and all you've eaten all day is fucking shit and then you feel like shit and then you can't sleep and you wonder why so question are you actually a snacky person or are you snacking habitually at the same times in the same environments with the same things? Because so much of it is a behavioural conditioned response that the simplest way to change it is simply changing the environment. If you can intercept the first stage of the pattern, right? If the first stage of the pattern is finishing work and your normal thing is to drive home, and then make dinner and raid the cupboards where the dinner's cooking. Let change, redirect it, right? Instead of driving home, go somewhere else, go to the gym, go for a walk, go meet a friend for a coffee, right? Go get yourself, sit in a coffee shop yourself and journal and like do something. I, I understand people have, have your dinner prepped. Have your dinner prepped? 
right? But sometimes there'll be conditions. This this is just an example, right? I'm not telling. Don't come to me and be like, I've got wings. I can't do that, right? Just fucking take a bit of take a bit of like. Initiative. Um, yourself a little bit. Uh, use your initiative and do something that works for you, right? But all you need to do is change the change the behavior pattern, right? Like if you're somebody who sits in front of the telly every single night and eats snacks then instead of sitting in front of the telly every single night and eating snacks, stand and walk on the treadmill and watch the telly in the gym, right? And eat a snack while you're doing it, right? You're doing something different, right? But you're still giving your brain the thing that it wants and the thing that it associates it with. You're just changing the environment. And I think ultimately we have to, you have to find outlets for your emotions, right? I feel like I want to get that tattooed in my fucking forehead, Allow yourself to feel the emotion. You're a human being. You cannot just not feel emotion. And actually, if you're not feeling emotions and you're repressing them, then good luck to you because they're going to come back and royally bite you in the arse, right? You need to understand where your emotions are coming from. What are the things that trigger them? And how do you find an outlet or a way to cope with said emotion, right? You can't tell me what the emotion is that you are feeling and what you know helps with it. That tells me you've got the emotional intelligence of a shoe. And if you have the emotional intelligence of a shoe, you're going to continue to turn to the same things over and over again as a coping mechanism, as an outlet. So if you really want the thing, the outlet, the behavior to change, you have to go away back to the start of the story and say, where is this coming from? When do I feel it? Where do I feel it? Who generates the feeling, Right. And how do I find an outlet and a way to respond to this? And don't come and tell me that exercise is your outlet for every emotion because that's not how it works. Exercise is a great coping strategy. It is not the only coping strategy. It's not going to work every single time. And sometimes a lot of people use it simply as a distraction and not as a as an emotional processing outlet, right? Sometimes, yes, it is a great distraction when you are feeling intense emotion, but ultimately you still need to find something that helps you process that and helps you understand that. So go and fucking experiment. Go and try different things. See what helps. Add more in. Stop expecting this one thing to be the solve-all solution for everything else, right? Find the different things that help with the different things that you're feeling and understand what your emotions actually are. Yeah, I love that. Love that. It's so true. Even for guys, especially for you fucking guys listening, like take that on board. And I would actually describe the men that we work with as guys who are more emotionally intelligent. They're more emotionally mature. So if you're a guy listening to this and you get what we are talking about, then you're already further ahead than most. (laughs) Um, The next one as well for loneliness. Again, find an outlet for your loneliness. Find a hobby that isn't just exercising. Own a friend that really makes you feel good about yourself, that laughs with you. Figure out which parent is on your side more than the other and just fucking call them for a chat. Put yourself in new situations with new people with similarities and similar values, right? Which most people don't do because, again, it's a self-esteem thing. I don't want to put myself in this new environment with new people. What if they don't like me? What if they don't take to me? There's a higher likelihood that those people will become better friends than you've ever had because they've got the same values as you, because they're in the same place, right? So it's so important to recognize that. Guys, even if you're lonely as well, right? Fucking go and flip the bean, right? Do, do, do something to make yourself feel better, right? Not- you know something? I thought we've reached a lot of lows in this podcast, but I never thought we would go that low. 
Listen, but no, honestly, it's true. I've actually spoke to clients in the past, and some of them have actually like spoke about sexual frustration, like especially when they're lonely. But they've also had like this shameful thing about like masturbation. Yeah. Like there's there's like um there's loads of research that supports like the the like the it, there's something I can't remember the actual statistics, but it um it releases more of like happy hormones and it also has been scientifically proven to improve your relationship with your body and your self esteem. Exactly. And women, I don't know about men. No, but I know no, men, men, it's pure post nut clarity, man. You do it. <laughs> You're no, you're seriously <laughs> questioning your life. You're like, what the fuck is this? I'm in like, I know. I worried about like saying like, because um, obviously where we're from, we use the word cunt a lot, right? But yeah. like, just colloquially. So like, I heard myself the, the last time we were recording, I went to say every cunt and then I was like, oh, I better not say cunt in the podcast. But I feel like now, I mean, we're here and oh, I've said it four times. So honestly, just like drop as many cunt bombs as you want. Um, <laughs> The thing is, it's a term of endearment. Everyone listening back, unless you're not Scottish, will not understand, and you'll probably have been heavily offended throughout this entire thing. We, but honestly, we mean like, it as simply it's an adjective for us, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And good cunt, bad cunt. Good cunt, bad cunt. Good cop, bad cop. Good cunt, bad cunt. <laughs> um, but I've even like asked female um, clients before as well, because one of the best things you can do is actually accept your body in its form and spend time naked each day. Yeah. Make- my God, you've asked female clients to do that. And it's like, well, yes, ones that are struggling with food, a relationship with their body. Yes, because see, whenever I ask them, how much time a day do you spend naked? They say zero. Mm-hmm. They say, I keep a towel on, I put my pants on with my towel over me. Yeah. And, you know, I just never look at myself in the mirror when I'm naked. And it's like, well, yeah. you need to get more comfortable with accepting that. If that's the thing that brings you the fear, that's where you need to be more. <laughs> Literally, you need to kind of force that. Um, and finally, tiredness. Guys, Set metrics that are realistic. If you can fit 10K in quite comfortably in your workday every single day, fantastic, superb. Keep it at that until you feel as if you've managed your schedule well enough to be able to do more if you want to do more. If you can only train three times a week, every single week consistently, without really derailing how you feel within your job, within your responsibilities as a parent, how you care for some of your family, how often you see your friends, if that's your values, train three times per week. Right, don't do more than is needed because more is not always better. Like more is very often worse if you can't handle the stimulus of it. And um I wish I could like give you a full formula for every week, but everyone's is gonna be different. You need to experiment, you need to test and see, like Jen said. And some of this is there for you to have to do on your own as well. Like we can give you the insights, we can give you the answers, but also anyone listening back isn't going to be someone we know that well to say that this is exactly what you need and if you reach out to us after this and you say listen i've struggled with this for a very long time this is my situation what would you recommend we might be able to help but we might also need more information yeah and the thing is is that we're all we're not going to know what's best for you because you know what's best for you right and if you don't know what's best for you our job's not to tell you our job's to go on the journey of discovery with you to say, okay, how do we find out what's best for you? We have no two clients the same, right? They deal with similar struggles and they have some, some of them have similar experiences, but as people, they are individuals. So yes, we could, exactly as you say, you could put every fucker through a total cookie cutter, let's get shredded mental program, but actually how much damage would that leave in so many people 
that's actually just not what we're about because we're about the individual and what's important to them and getting them what's important for them. Yeah. And the one thing that they always say to us, like clients especially, when we say, what is it that you do for Jen that's outside of exercise or eating food? Um, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yep. Which is so sad. Like, so sad. And we spoke last week, I think it was, about all the shit that we do yep. um, for ourselves. Like, if we need that outlet. If you don't know your own, take some examples from that. Take some inspiration from it. Like, there are things that you have there that you're able to do. Again, if it's a self-esteem issue, though. It's an insecurity of, oh, well, I don't want to be doing this. It's not cool at my age. Mm. It's, it's not acceptable. Yeah. Fucking Mate, obvious. I'm 30 and I go to bingo. Like, you, come on. You need, like, to, you need to let go of that. Well, I actually, fuck, I, I don't you know what I pulled out for the first time the other day in months. Oh, I love it. And you know what I play on this, right? Do you know what I play on this? Because I fucking loved it as a kid. I've not even turned it back on. I've literally not played this thing in ages. But see, the weekend, Joanne's going out Saturday and I'm planting Mars on the couch and I'm playing that shit. Um, Dragon Ball Z. Oh, nice. Dragon Ball Z. It's a Dragon Ball Z game and it's fucking superb. I was going to get Pokemon, but the Pokemon games these days are fucking shit. Um, Yeah, yeah. Needs to be a Game Boy. 100% 100% so I'm getting fired into this Dragon Ball Z game again because I got stuck at this level last time and I stopped playing it um, and I want to fucking beat it so something for yourselves I've been Mario Kart on there as well Mario Kart's fucking banging on it so me and Paul literally like I think sometimes the neighbour must think that one of us is murdering the other because see when we're playing Mario Kart versus each other we're like two fucking we're screaming at each other we were playing um, we were playing um, Zelda What's Ocarina of Time? It's my one of my favorite games ever. Um, come out in the Nintendo sixty four, uh, back in the day. But you can get it on the Switch. So there's a thing you can buy on the Switch. It's all the Nintendo sixty four games. Awesome. Um, so good, right? And like we can't get past a certain level. It's fucking brutal, but genuinely, it's like you would think that we were fucking leathering each other the way we were screaming and shouting at the telly, like <laughs> But like. It's just, it's it's one of the things as well that I think, like, when you can do this with yourself or with your partner, these are the kind of things that help improve your relationship with yourself, with your partner. Like, there's nothing, like, I remember um, saying to, I think I was saying to Jean, but, like, there was one weekend, so I've had, like, I was, The Sims 2 was my game, right? I've spent, like, all of my teenage years, like, when everybody else was out making friends and lunching boys, I was playing The Sims, and it <laughs> explains a lot about why I am the way I am. <laughs> And um, on the on the Mac store, there's a Sims 2 Ultimate Collection app, right? So obviously I've got this laptop. I've, I'd never had a Mac. I had, had an old, my sister's old Mac computer, and I played it on that. And then the computer broke, so I hadn't played it in years. And I got this laptop and uh, downloaded that, but it wouldn't work for ages. So like for ages and ages and ages, like I kept, um, and it was, it was right, it was right at the end of last year when we were like heavy working, like it was like, 60 70 hour weeks every single week like it was relentless and I was like I'm so tired I'm so tired and it was one Friday and I think I finished I think I finished like in the afternoon and I kept clicking it clicking it to see if it would open it never opened and then this Friday afternoon it opened and I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god and I was like Paul Paul the app's opened and he was like oh my god oh my god I can't believe it because we'd been waiting for so long and I am not joking you I spent the entire weekend friday night 
all day Saturday because I have got my treadmill. I was like walking on my treadmill while playing The Sims to get my steps. And as soon as that was done, Friday night, Friday, all Friday afternoon, Friday night, fucking up to three in the morning, Saturday, and then fucking all day Sunday and Sunday night, all I did was play The Sims. It was one of the best weekends of my entire life. Paul watched three three seasons of one TV programme and lay on the couch watching telly and having a whiskey. It was one of the best weekends we've ever had. Yes, <laughs> it's fucking great. So go go and do something that just helps you disconnect and escape, and that is fun, and just give yourself permission to do it. Hundred percent. I could I could not agree more. And um, it'll be different for everyone. So whatever your thing is, like I uh, follow a guy that I know quite well on social media. I've been in loads of seminars and stuff with him, and he's actually someone who used to be an actor, like used to do like Broadway shows and stuff like that. Very theatrical in the way he speaks. He finds it very cathartic just reading monologues. Hmm. Like just reading monologues, like out loud, yeah. and like putting his own like character twist on it. See yeah. what it is. And he uploaded one to Instagram the other day. It was fucking really good, to be fair. Um, and that's how I know because he was like, "This is so cathartic. This is what I do to like make myself yeah. better." Um, do so you yeah. remember? Do you remember that Lemmy sketch that was like, uh, "What's your hang?" <laughs> and like he says, to "The guy, what's your hang?" And he's like, "Sometimes I like to just when she's out, I like to stone my lampshade and my head and just laugh my head off." Or it was the guy when he's like, "I just stone in the wardrobe and I just laugh my head off." That was me all weekend, just stone in the wardrobe, laugh, and it's fine. I I love that sketch. It makes me howl every time. But like, what what is your hang? Go and find your hang. 100%. For people who are not Scottish, I'm saying your thing. Go and find your thing. Go and find your thing, guys. But that was another fantastic episode, as always. We, I know we digress all the time, but hopefully the shit we talk still um, comes across in the best possible way. Um, yeah. Unsure what will come next week, but we'll decide when we get there. We like to take this by the themes that we uh, often see from you guys getting in touch, your clients. We get a lot of inspiration from real-life scenarios. So if there is anything you would like us to speak about, Please message us and let us know. Um, make it hard. Make it difficult. Yeah. It's harder than <laughs> I love a challenge. 100%. But guys, thank you so much again for tuning in. Please subscribe. Please share. Please pass this to someone that would help. Um, it would mean a lot to us and obviously them. So we'll speak to you all soon. Bye.